0: Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. I am Peter Rosenberger. Glad to have you with us. Hope you're doing well. What's going on with you? How are you feeling? How are you holding up as a caregiver? This show is designed to speak to the needs of family caregivers in this country alone. There are more than 65 million of us who are providing an estimated $500 billion. That's billion with a big B of unpaid care to the most vulnerable among us in our society the family caregiver is an at-risk individual if the family caregiver goes down what happens to the loved one they are taking care of or loved ones they are taking care of what happens to our culture our society think about it if only 10 percent went on strike which we're not going to do but think about it so this is a very large Group of individuals who are serving almost in obscurity without training and without pay. And yet they're the ones standing between people with chronic impairments and a cliff. And so this program is designed to speak to the needs of that group of individuals. We've been talking about safety for a while. And I know that people think of safety as things such as, you know, fall risk and home security and all that. But I've been introducing different kinds of safety protocols that caregivers can implement, such as healthy boundaries, watching out for people who will distort scripture and theology in order to levy even more burdens on a family caregiver, people who will come and and parachute in and throw up all kind of dust and make your life more uncomfortable. There are plenty of people that do that and other things that we've been incorporating. Today, I want to swerve into something that you may have never heard, but it's come to my attention multiple times and just in the last week with a friend of mine who brought this subject up yet again. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to tackle this. This is the whole concept. Uh, Well, I'll tell you what, let me just set the story here, okay? This friend of mine mentioned a friend of hers, and she said, I'm... Working with her, she's having a very difficult time because she took care of her husband with Alzheimer's for 11 years. This was his second marriage, I believe. I believe it was her second marriage. And he died at roughly about 80, 81, 82. So they they met when he was in his early 70s. She was in her, I believe, 60s or late 60s. She signed a prenup with this gentleman and i'm not here to disparage prenups that's a conversation for other people to have at another time here are the facts she signed a prenup when he died after she took care of him for 11 years with alzheimer's it turns out that he had early stages of it undiagnosed but this kind of developed very early on into their marriage he left her nothing. In fact, not even the house. She has to pay the bills on it and move out by a certain time, and then it goes over to her, his children, not hers. And he's left her in a really bad way. I can't offer a lot to this woman. These are the facts of what she is dealing with now, and it's very uncomfortable, and I, I hate it for her. But what I can do is talk to this audience and say, When it comes to a prenup and you're of a certain age, there is an opportunity here for that prenup to include caregiving responsibilities. Should the event arise that this new bride, even though she may be at 65 or older, is involved in caregiving responsibilities, that extend beyond a certain time frame with diminished capacity etc then that prenup should have some type of protection for this individual who's going to serve as a caregiver for this person usually it's a, it's a man involved who says to the prospective bride i want you to sign a prenup But irrespective, it's somebody with means, somebody with money or assets that's saying to someone else, if you marry me, you have to sign a prenup. I I get that. Again, I'm not here to disparage that particular legal path for people. However, how is it fair? How is it appropriate? How is it responsible that should that marriage immediately or quickly or even eventually, descend into lengthy caregiving responsibilities for this person who signed the prenup to be left penniless, to be left without anything. They should be compensated for that time, if for nothing else, just the going rate of a paid caregiver. And the only way that's going to happen is if you are faced with that situation. Please do not sign that without strong legal counsel and put in a caregiver clause, particularly if the person who is asking you to sign it is over a certain age because you know things are going to happen. Heart attack, stroke, you know, Alzheimer's, whatever. Things are going to happen, and you're going to be in a caregiving situation. And if there is not ample compensation for that put in place— ample protection for you, if you want to use that word instead. You are opening yourself up to a world of stress, hurt, cost, everything else, and then be left without anything as this thing can consume you. Now, that sounds a bit harsh and very unromantic. I know that. But if you're signing a prenup, we're not dealing with romance anyway. This is a business agreement. And let's face it, when you start getting married again after a certain age, many are not looking to build a new life or build a new family. They're looking for companionship. And I'm not talking about when you get married again in your 30s or even 40s. I'm talking about when you're of a certain age. And there's nothing wrong with remarrying, particularly if you've lost spouses or you've never been married or whatever. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not here to... Have that moral conversation with you. I'm here to have a financial conversation with you that would serve all parties well to go into with strong understandings of boundaries, responsibilities, and the like. So if you've got some, let's just put it in this picture. This is a stereotype, but there's a reason stereotypes exist. If if you've got some guy that's 75 years old, he's got a good bit of money, and he finds somebody It's in her 50s, maybe early 60s, and wants to marry her and then ask her to sign a prenup, which I know of somebody who has done this. That woman who signs that prenup would be well served to get strong legal counsel and to rewrite that prenup in such a way that if she is put into a caregiving responsibility that lasts over a certain period of time, and that can be subjective, that there is adequate protection for her. So that she is not left holding the bag and then when this guy dies she's out on the street. Like this scenario that just came to my attention last week. I'm not here to disparage true love, okay? I know that all the the rainbows and the unicorns and the butterflies and all that kind of stuff, okay, I get it. But When somebody asks you to sign a prenup, that hopefully at least taps the brakes to say, we need to have a conversation, particularly if one party is a bit older. Now, if you go into it and it's all ironed out, you think it's fine, okay, fine. Buyer beware. I'm just giving you some information, something to think about before you sign an agreement that's on you Okay, what you do with it from here on out we're all adults here, make adult decisions however, I think it would be well worth the time to have an attorney go through such a document and skew it towards your favor should you find yourself in a situation with somebody with some type of chronic impairment and by the way, that can be alcoholism too So if you get married to somebody, you've signed a prenup, and you find out into this marriage that they're an alcoholic or it starts to grow, you're going to be in a real mess. Premonitus, premonitus. That's Latin, which means forewarned is forearmed. This is Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. Welcome back to hope for the caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. So glad that you are with us. Hope for the caregiver.com hope for the caregiver.com. You know, I didn't mean to sound like I was anti true love and romance in that last segment here, but it is a problem. And I see the potential for somebody to be very, very hurt by this. And I know we have messy situations with our relationships these days. Um, But I I would also, while I'm on that subject, I've seen a lot of this happen as well. And I'm just going to just say it. And if it offends people, I'm sorry. Send the letters of complaints to peter at the internet dot Google. But it's, I've seen too many cases of this where a man was married for a very long time. And his wife dies, particularly after caring for her. And then, within a very short amount of time, and I'm talking about less than a year, remarried again to someone. And again, I'm not disparaging the love, the companionship, the certainly the biblical right to remarry once a spouse has passed away. And and I I get all that, but if you've been a caregiver for a long period of time, and I mean you know, more than a couple of months Well, this has gone on for a year, two years, three years, four years or more. It would seem to me that you would want to give yourself a lot of time to heal before jumping into another relationship that will probably involve caregiving within five years. If you are of a certain age again, and For you women who are seeing a guy that has lost his wife and he may seem extremely attractive and he may have money, he may be charming and all those kinds of things, but wouldn't you rather him be healed up in a lot of areas before involving yourself with that guy? You know, there are a lot of men who are widowers who are not real good at incorporating a whole other relationship. And let's let's be frank. What, what are men looking for if they're 75 years old and wanting to get remarried again? Or, you know, 70 years old. Let's just say that. If they want to get remarried again, what are they looking for? Okay, they're not going to want to start another family. So what are they looking for? Well, they're wanting somebody to take care of them. How many men do you know that are self-sufficient? That are... Independent in of themselves that know how to do all the necessary things in caring for themselves, food, laundry, housekeeping, all those kinds of things and so a lot of men are feel they feel lost and they don't know how to do that, and they're wanting to have somebody help them with that and then quite frankly, a lot of men are just looking for sex and Again, is that a healthy way to start off this thing? They may be charming and you may have wonderful things and it may just be all sunshine and rainbows, but give it some time, particularly if there was caregiving involved, give it some time. Let respect the trauma, let it heal for a while. And there's no need to rush into a relationship. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. What scripture says. So, if you're looking for somebody else to kind of fill that gap, then you are, you're, you're setting yourself up for some unpleasant realities, particularly if there's adult children involved and all kinds of things. I'm not saying it doesn't work out. Sometimes it does. But I'm just recommending, like I said the last segment, tap the brakes a little bit. Slow down. Don't rush right into something. Maybe it's good to just spend some time alone with God and, and, and let it heal. You'd have, you cultivate great friendships. And I know when you get to a certain age, you're like, well, I ain't got a lot of time here. Well, not having a lot of time is not a reason to rush into a serious relationship. Okay. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just be still and do nothing and let it process, get comfortable with the silence. You know, there are some people just cannot handle being alone. And when you see somebody who's been in a long-term relationship where there was, particularly when there was caregiving involved, um, you need to respect that trauma and let that person kind of work through that. Don't look at yourself as a savior. And I'm saying this primarily to women right now. Don't look at yourself as a savior. But let me switch focus to the men. Don't look at yourself as a savior because you're not. You know, you're not there to meet that need. They have one greater than you that can do it. And so it's important that we be healthier. Remember what I say on this program all the time. It's not about happiness. It's about healthiness. Happiness will chase you if you're chasing healthiness. But if you're so busy trying to be happy and feel good, you're going to end up making some very bad mistakes. And people have asked me very inappropriately at times. I don't know why, but they do. And I have faced death many times with Gracie. Are you ever going to get married again? Kind of thing, which I thought is really a highly offensive question, but they ask. Um, and I, first off, it's none of their business. What I choose to do if if that event happens, which I don't know that it will, if I precede Gracie or she precedes me, at the rate the country's going right now, we could all be seeing Jesus next Thursday. So, it's an inappropriate. I don't live in the hypothetical. I'm not. I'm not there, and I'm not planning on being there anytime soon should i get there i would like to think i would use some restraint and give some respect to the time and seek god in solitude and and quiet i have a friend of mine who's been taking care of his wife for many years and she just passed away we knew this was coming and he's in his 70s and uh I doubt very seriously he's going to ever get into another relationship. He's one of the healthiest individuals I've known as far as emotional healthiness and spiritual. He's just a very solid fellow. And he's, uh, I think he's looking forward to having some, just some downtime. And he told me, you know, not too terribly long after his wife passed, he said, I had no idea how frenetic my life was. It's quiet now. It's quiet And it doesn't mean that we don't grieve or mourn, because I think we do. But I think it's in that solitude. It's in that giving it the respect, giving it time to air out. That you don't want to just jump into something else. And particularly, like I said in the last segment, if somebody's going to make you sign a prenup, you know, whoa, hey, let's let's slow down here. And that's why it's important that we keep ourselves focused on what kind of purpose do we have? What are we doing here? You know, have you, how many of you all have heard me thematically say over the last several years to start living life now as a caregiver? Don't wait until your caregiving experience is over because you may not live that long. Live life now at whatever level you can. We talked about this just in the last couple of weeks. If you if you write. Write. If you are a painter, paint. If you love business, do business. Do whatever level you can as a caregiver. Don't wait until this gets better or worse before you decide that you're going to start living life. The more you are in tune with the calling that God has on your life, the more equipped you'll be to make better decisions should you outlive your loved one. The more focused You'll be on priorities. You won't feel like you're just lost, that you will not be twiddling your thumbs and wondering, okay, what do I do? Because you're already doing it. We're not called to just sit around and wait on a situation to resolve itself before we are obedient to what God has called us and equipped us and purposed us to do. And that purpose transcends the role of caregiver. Okay, that may be part of the task of our life. But I was put on this earth for more than just being Gracie's caregiver. Do you understand that? Now, I may do that for the rest of my life or hers. But that is not my primary purpose. And it's really important that we understand that, that, that God has vocations that he calls us to that transcend what we think is going on. Think about Moses, for example. Moses saw something. He tried to do something about it with the Israelites in bondage. He killed that Egyptian, and he was going to deliver Israel one dead Egyptian at a time, evidently. Well, that didn't work out too well for him. And so he's on the backside of the desert for 40 years, tending sheep, thinking, that this is it. Well, all the things he did while tending sheep all those skills that he learned, God had purpose for those in leading his people out of bondage. Jesus called his disciples, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He had purpose for this. He uses these skill sets we have that were in our daily life and all these kinds of things. But he has purpose for these things. Do we seek him in it? You'll go through scripture after scripture after scripture seeing people learning to be diligent where they are. In order to be prepared for what god has for them and he is working out all of these things in the midst of this we keep wanting for a bailout or a big sign you know get me out of this lord so i can be happy is that what scripture teaches is that what you see in scripture that god wants us to be happy i'm not seeing that and i'd be curious to know who does but i see a lot of scriptures about trusting him being diligent Being faithful, persevering, endurance, focused, and ready at a moment's notice to share the gospel, to comfort one another. If you remember what he said to Peter, he said, Satan has asked for permission to sift you like wheat, but when you have turned, I want you to strengthen your brethren. Sometimes we find that same principle with us, is that we have been sifted. But when we've turned, I've been down that road, painful things, but now my mission is to strengthen my brethren, just as people strengthened me. Paul said in Corinthians, comfort one another with the same comfort you yourself have received from the God of all comfort. This is what I do on this program as an extension of what God has done in my life by using others' But I've respected the journey of realizing, okay, I'm not here just to cook and clean and do all these things. I'm here to be diligent in the midst of that, to seek him in it, seek him in it, not to just keep begging him, pleading with him and having hysterical conversations to get me out of it, but to trust him in it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. In other words, we're going to walk through this, and he's going to walk through it with us, and it's okay for us to give it the respect it deserves. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. For the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Hope for the Caregiver.com. Hope for the I don't want to belabor this issue, but I want to circle back just one more thing because I got a call this week from a guy and he actually said this to me Can't we petition God to expedite this process? <laughs> and I I appreciate <laughs> No. Well, you can. You can ask. But I'm pretty sure that God, how many of you all, just raising hands, how many of you all have been successful at getting God to move at your pace as opposed to his? It's going to take what it takes. Sanctification is an unpleasant task for most of us. Some of I think some people probably sail through it just fine, but maybe they I haven't met those people yet. But it's not a pleasant process to go through these things. And he was wanting to hurry up and get through this and get on with his life. Again, this same subject. He's wanting to go out and find somebody. Um, He's had a marriage that crumbled. And I said, dude, just slow down. I I was talking to a friend who's a social worker, and she said that um, the general rule of thumb for a lot of counselors when they talk to people about this sort of thing is give one month of waiting time for each year that you were married and there's some of these people out there their marriage ends in 30 years and they're ready to get out there and get going and i'm like no my goodness please slow down and i know the last couple of years of their life may have been involved in caregiving or whatever just take a breath and recognize that your time alone with God is incredibly valuable. Being a healthy individual, spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, all those things, it doesn't happen if you just keep throwing yourself back into another relationship. But a lot of caregivers finish their caregiving task when their loved one dies, and then they don't know what to do, and then they go out and find another caregiving task. And I had a lady that asked me this one time. said, you know, is this my calling in life, to be a caregiver? Well. I, I I don't think so. I think your calling in life according to what everything I've seen in scripture, and I'll say it succinctly like the Westminster Confession of Faith does in the shorter catechism. Number one, it says, What is the chief end of man? Was to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our calling. In life, I understand that some people may spend a lifetime in caring for people, just like some people may spend a lifetime in suffering. I was listening to a teaching the other day on this that there, you know, some people are called to the ministry, and some people are called to suffer. Job comes to mind, that man who was born blind, and his and Jesus' disciples. They said, you know, what what was the deal with this guy? You know, what'd he do? Was it his parents or him? And Jesus, is like, no, guys, you get it all wrong. It was done to glorify God, and that is the case for so many i'm looking at my wife in this i have zero doubt that god can heal her he's god but when this thing stretches on for 40 years now for her and he has yet to remove this from her then we are left with no other path according to scripture that says that god has purposed in this he has decreed in this That this is a calling for her, a lifetime calling to trust him in this suffering that he is not going to alleviate on this side of heaven. And there's some people out there that really get into other things and they would probably argue with me. I I remember reading Johnny Erickson Tata's book. And, you know, when she was first in this journey of being paralyzed, you know, she was hauled around to different healing crusades, Catherine Kuhlman and all that stuff. And we've certainly done the same thing. I, I don't have any embarrassment of that. When you are struggling on the level we struggle with, you you do. You try anything. You know, Benny Hen. I mean, <laughs> Benny Hen sent us some fruit while Gracie was in the hospital. Big basket of fruit. Very nice gift. I was very grateful. And I looked at Gracie. I said, "You know you're having a bad day." When the faith healer sent you fruit. You know I don't know what to say, but here's some bananas, y'all. <laughs> I mean, I see the. Y'all you, you know how goofy I am, and and I don't. I don't mean to cast aspersions on anyone else. whereas a friend of mine says cast asparagus on anyone else. I, I really don't. I get that, but there's a point where you have to accept this is where we are. And I go back to that passage in Jeremiah 29. Most people will tell you Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Very few will tell you what it says a couple of verses before when the Lord says through Jeremiah to his people, y'all be still, build houses, get married, have children, get your children married, be still. I sent you there. I will move you when I'm ready. And we thrash about at these things, And I I think maybe one of the the advantages that Gracie and I have is that we've been in this for so long that it becomes exhausting to keep thrashing about. I was listening to my friend talk about this week, and he said, can't we get God to expedite this so I can get on with my life and go find some, you know. And I'm like, that kind of thrashing is only going to lead to more pain, sorrow, loss, confusion, craziness. There is a point where we, we get to... We we just get, I'd love to tell you for me anyway, I'd love to tell you that it was very spiritual, but it's not. I just got tired. I mean, it's exhausting to, to stay keyed up like that all the time. And finally you just simply say, uh, whatever, Lord, just whatever. Thou knowest, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, again, I'd love to sound more spiritual than that, but I think I'm just tired. And the only thing that brings me rest is when i focus on the things of god this is something i'm learning now but think about how long i've struggled against this and it's taken me decades to get to this point point. and i'm yes a slow learner but still you know i i wanted so much to say god get get us out of this do something god And this is the situation that a lot of people find themselves in and they want to get remarried again. You know, they finally got a a reprieve from the, the angst that they were living in, whether it's their loved one dies or they get divorced or whatever. I'm not here to offer commentary on that. I'm just simply telling you this is what happens. And they rush right back into the same scenario. Did you ever see this clip? Somebody sent this around. I'll try to find it and post it on our Facebook group. And it shows this guy pulling a sheep out of this crevice that he had fallen in, this kind of a, a ditch along the side of the road, and he pulls the sheep out by his hind legs. The sheep gets out, bounds down 10 yards, and jumps way up there and lands right back in the crevice again. <laughs> it's one of the funniest clips you'll ever see. And I, that's that's my Christian life. That's Jesus with me. And, and there's another one where um, somebody showed a horse a young I think it was a filly and they're full of a lot of energy when they're young and we've got horses out here in Montana when I go out and feed them they come running up to me with the hay in the machine and, and they're just so excited and the young ones are just kicking I mean they're just rearing up and bucking and you have to be careful because they don't mean to be they're not trying to hurt you they're just so excited that somebody showed up with food and the older horse uh her, it's a mare named sierra and she just kind of ambles along and <laughs> she says she knows she's going to get the food and it's going to be there and she's not all that worked up about it and but th- this this video somebody put out of a horse a filly being um she had a halter on a and rope and then they connected her to a donkey and the little filly was just bouncing all over the place and the donkey wouldn't move it just kind of haunched down you know with his back hooves and just sat there just very calmly while that filly just wore herself out trying to break away from this donkey and finally it acquiesced and came and just stood quietly by the donkey and that's how they helped calm this filly down and i thought it was just brilliant to watch and it's also a great picture of my Christian life, you know, there's a point where you just wear yourself out and God's not going to move. He's going to be God all by himself and he doesn't need me as a consultant and he is not going to get all that worked up about me spazzing out. And as I listened to this friend of mine this week and I thought, oh, bless his heart, you know, and think of ourselves, though, as as haltered to God. So when we want to run, in the moment we come out of the barn, we're just so ready to go get into something else, and we want to, we'll sign anything. It's like that lady talking about the last block or so, sign that prenup, and we'll we'll do anything, because we just want to have something that makes us feel better. We want to feel free and unfettered. There's a great hymn, though, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. I don't have the caregiver keyboard hooked up right now, and I'm very sorry about that. Carl in Texas loves it. Carl, I know you're listening. You listen on the rebroadcast every Sunday night, and I'm sorry I don't have it hooked up, but I will try to uh, make amends for that. But there's a great hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It says, Oh, to grace how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter. I just like that word fetter. Bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And that is my life. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. And so in his mercy, he binds me like a fetter to him, so that I'm not just spazzing out all the time. And I, I'm grateful for that, and I would, I would encourage as many people as possible to when they, when they find themselves in a situation where they're starting over or they're, they're wanting to maybe get married again after doing this, give it some time. Don't be in a hurry. And I, I love what that counselor said. One month, don't start dating uh, for one month for every year you were married. So some of you were married for 20 years. Give it some time, 20 months, before you start dating again. Just give yourself time to heal and time to process. If the marriage ended poorly, if your, your husband or your, your wife died, give it time. There is no hurry because my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, not some other person. Give yourself a little bit of time, okay? And by all means, please do not sign any type of legal document going into a relationship with someone else without strong legal counsel, okay? To protect you and to keep good, healthy boundaries. And healthy boundaries help make healthy caregivers, and healthy caregivers make better caregivers. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. Is mine. Oh, of glory Welcome back to Hope for the God. Caregiver. This is Peter Roseberger. That is Denver and the Mile High Orchestra singing one of the greatest hymns ever written, but with a, such a fabulous arrangement. I'm a huge fan of big band music, swing music, and to be able to take this hymn and do this I just love this. So my hat's off to these guys, Denver and the Mile High Orchestra. All right, this has been an interesting show today, but I wanted to address this issue of getting way too many encounters of people wanting to jump back into things or to involve themselves in a relationship with someone else, and it's going to turn into a caregiving scenario. I mean, when you think about it, when you're getting ready to marry somebody again and you're 60-plus years old, it's only a very small window of time before things start happening and so i just wanted to spend a little bit of time getting into that issue giving you as best as i can a caution flag tap the brakes don't sign anything until you sit down with strong legal counsel and have that caregiving clause if you will however that looks i don't know i'm not a lawyer but there are people out there that can give you good sound advice and if you need somebody like that There are services out there that are very affordable. I use one myself. You can see more about that if you want it. My website at HopeForTheCaregiver.com. This is what Grace and I have used for well over 10 years, and it's very affordable. So I'm just saying, please, just don't do it. That's all I ask is just take a moment's pause, breathe, just slow down. One of the things I was talking with somebody this week, if you don't know what to do, a great place to start is the book of Proverbs. I think some of you have been listening to the program for a long time. No, I've said this before. Usually, a month has thirty thirty one days in it. Well, there's thirty one proverbs in the book of Proverbs. Read one each day and just chew on that. That's that's an MBA in in wisdom from God, because this you'll you'll see pretty much everything covered there, in the book of Proverbs that that helps us take a moment's pause before we make major life decisions. How many times have you made a good decision when you are amped up? How many times have you made a good financial or relationship decision when you are distracted or in a bad emotional place or when you are frenetic, you're just wanting to feel better or you are in a panic or you're afraid? None of those things go towards good decision making. Not one time. But what does scripture say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will what? He'll direct your path. And that's what that hymn, Blessed Assurance, is that assurance that we know that God is not going to abandon us. That's who he is. He assures. I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Fret not. It's populated throughout all of scripture. And I told you all, for those of you new to the audience, I'll, I'll reshare the story. For those of you who are old to the audience and have been listening a while, I'm sorry if this is a repeat, but when I went down to that big back surgery with Gracie last year in Denver, th- this is the biggest surgery she's ever had, and that's saying something. I named the, the, the operation, I actually had this one named, called it Operation Aggressive Assurance. To give her assurance throughout this whole thing, just to keep pouring assurance. It's gonna be okay, Grace. We're gonna get through this. We're not gonna drop you. After the surgery, it was over nine hours. They took her to the ICU and she was intubated, she was unconscious for four days. And during that time, the pain management specialist, acute care, pain management specialist came to the room wonderful guy i've had him on this program before he's got the alphabet after his name just brilliant guy and a very kind man and he had his team with it's a teaching hospital so he had his team of residents with him and they're following around they all have their ipads or notes whatever they're doing uh, on their laptops and so forth and he very graciously asked me any insights that i had into gracie's journey to provide them which i was very moved by and you've heard me also say on this program that we caregivers have caregiver authority most of us are the repository of of our loved one's chart i know gracie's chart better than most any other than any other provider i I have the longevity the history of it and we we should be able to speak into this and we should be consulted on this we may not know the science but we know the patient and that is incredibly valuable to medical practitioners to hear caregivers who can articulate concisely what has gone on in the history with this patient so he's asking me and they're all taking notes and i said it has been my experience that gracie responds very well to aggressive assurance when you live with chronic pain like she has for so long she knows what it's like to be mishandled and when people get it wrong or people don't believe her, people treat her poorly because she is in agony and she's crying out for help and they think that she's making it up or she's over-exaggerated or whatever. There's all the gamut when you live with chronic pain like Gracie does, and her pain is severe. I've seen the MRIs, X-rays, and CTs, and I can, I've been around this long enough that I can read some of them pretty well to see what's going on. And this doctor jumped in and he looked at his students he said i cannot stress enough the importance of what he is saying chronic pain patients understand pain in ways that we will never do it because they live with it every day and how important it is to assure them that you're not only there but you're, you're going to get this right that you're not going to abandon them. you're not going to let them drop that you're going to be on time you're going to be prompt you're going to be there for them And we went on to have a longer conversation. It was very, very moving to listen to him. Uh, I don't know a lot of doctors that have done that over the years with Gracie or me. And after they left, he came back in the room a few minutes later. And he put his hand gently on my forearm. And he looked at me in the eye and he said, I've also found that caregivers respond well to aggressive assurance. We got her. And I was, you know, I teared up. And I thought, that's a picture of the gospel that our Savior condescends to us to say, you know what? I see you and I see what you're carrying. And I'm assuring you that I'm not going to drop you. I got her and I got you. And that's the nature of our walk with Christ. Can we trust Him? Can we trust Him when we feel lonely? And we just desperately want to be with somebody that makes us feel special or whatever. Can we trust him with that? And I say to these friends of mine who are finding themselves at the end of their caregiving journey and want to go get remarried again, can you trust him? He's got you. He's got you. And those are important things to remember for us to settle our hearts down spiritually so that whatever we do... It's not from a place of neediness and freneticness, but it's a place of calmness, trusting my Savior all the day long. Fanny Crosby wrote that hymn. And I think I've told you all this, but Phoebe Knapp had this tune written in that weird meter of 9-8. And she went to her friend Fanny Crosby and said, I've got this tune it has been kicking around in my head. I don't think that's the words they use, but that's the Nashville version of it. I got this tune I've been working on in this chart. You know, and and do you have a lyric for this? Fifteen minutes later, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And then Dwight Moody heard this and it went worldwide with his crusades and the rest is history. That hymn has been a staple now for churches And the Christian Christians all over the world for a century or more. And it will I would imagine that that's one of those hymns that we'll sing in heaven. I can't imagine we wouldn't. Once we rest in that assurance, then we're less prone to wander. As the other hymn says, we're less prone to race into another crazy set of circumstances because we're resting in Christ and we're not doing this out of a sense of panic or, or frantic behavior. This has been one of the overarching goals for this program, my books, everything I do, and not just for the audience members, not just for listeners or readers, for myself to preach at myself to say, settle down, settle down. Operation Aggressive Assurance We have a Savior who understands this. He gets this. Settle down. Fear not. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. That's the whole point of all of this is that we can be calmer and healthier and, dare I say it, even more joyful while serving as caregivers so that whatever we do, As Horatio Spafford said, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. We are out of time, and I want to take just a moment here to tell you two things. One of them is the book, uh, it releases in bookstores across the country, May 31st. It's called A Minute for Caregivers, When Every Day Feels Like Monday, and I cannot wait for you to read this book. I gave out some advanced copies to folks, and everybody's saying the same thing: it is so easy to read; it is right in time. You're saying exactly what I'm feeling. I hadn't even put words to it yet, and you're already saying the words in your book. And that is the highest compliment you could give me as a writer. So it's coming out. You can pre-order it now if you want. HopeForTheCaregiver.com. HopeForTheCaregiver.com. Just look, click on the book tab, and you can pre-order this book. Also, I wanted to give you a report on the young man in Cameroon that we helped. Uh, provide a leg for that's our first patient in Cameroon he is walking he is doing great and if you want to help us offset that cost you can go out to com slash giving com slash giving you can designate it for the prosthetic limb outreach if you do a hundred dollars or more towards that I'll send you a free signed copy of my book how about that that's com slash giving go out today and help us continue to strengthen those who are wounded and those who are caring for them. This is Peter Roseberg. Thanks for spending the time with me. We'll see you next time.